great to be here with your church again this morning. I've already been blessed by the time of worship that we've spent. Uh, my pastor says pretty frequently uh, over in, in Blackshirt, Emmanuel, where I'm from, uh, that if you have to wait until the message for the gospel to be preached, you've waited too long. And I'm thankful this morning that you don't have to wait until the message for the gospel to be preached because the songs that we have sang, uh, have sung this morning uh, have been full of the gospel message and the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're thankful to be saved this morning, just say amen. Because I'm thankful to be saved in the fact that there is no work that I could do or that you could do for us to earn our way into heaven. But Christ is the one who has finished the work. And when he cried from the cross, it is finished. It was in, indeed finished. Uh, praise the Lord. I am thankful and grateful to be back this morning because I, I preached for y'all. Brother Jared invited me to come and preach for him back in, I believe, September of last year. And, uh, you know, it's always an honor to be invited to preach somewhere else, but it's uh, a double honor when you're invited back to preach somewhere. And so I'm definitely honored to be here again with you, Brother Jared, this morning. And so uh, so without much more to say, I'll go ahead and invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Joshua, uh, chapter 1 and verse 8. Joshua, chapter 1 and verse 8. We're just going to be looking at verse 8 this morning. And so if you found your space there or your spot there, I will invite you to stand as we read in honor the word of God. I'm not sure if it's the custom here, but we do this over at my church. And so I invite you to stand this morning as we read in honor the word of God, as we read just this one singular verse from Joshua 1 and verse 8. Uh, For those that have been raised in church, this is probably a very familiar text for you. And the Bible says right here in verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. I just want to preach a simple message today that I've entitled the key to success. You can be seated as you do. Would you bow with me in a quick word of prayer? Father, I thank you for this church. Uh, Father, I thank you for like-minded believers that are all across this community. But, Lord, I'm particularly grateful for Deanwood Baptist Church and what they stand for and how they seek to reach the community of Waycross and surrounding areas with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, Father, we know that the only hope that we have is the gospel of Christ. Father, not any other gospel can save us. But, Father, only the gospel of Christ as delivered to us through the Holy Scriptures has the hope contained within it that can bring hope to a lost and a dying world. And, Father, I pray for your blessing on this congregation. And, Father, I pray specifically right now that you would bless these next few moments that we have together around your word, that this church would be edified. And, Father, I pray that even somebody that may be lost and apart from you will be saved by the end of this day. And, Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You know, success is something that we all want and that we strive for. You see, whether we're talking about academic success for some of our students that are maybe in the room or maybe some adults that maybe you're in some sort of college degree program. Maybe we're talking about athletic pursuits, again, for some of our students. Maybe we're talking about occupational success, which I'm sure that all of us in this room that have a job would say, I want to be successful in my occupation. Or maybe it's financial success that, of course, again, we would all desire to have some type of success in regards to 
our finances. And the truth of the matter is, is we don't like failure. I mean, if we were to poll this room, I mean, it's just natural for human nature. We don't want to fail. In fact, many times the reason why we don't pursue certain things, we don't pursue them because we're scared of what? We're scared of failing at that certain thing. So we'd rather not try at all than to try something and fail. It reminds me a little bit of the story of the little boy that had a baseball bat and a baseball and he went out into the yard and started, as, uh, as you know, we call it cherry, uh, well not cherry picking, cherry balling. I'm thinking of basketball, confusing my sports. But cherry balling the ball and throwing it up and swinging and trying to hit it. And so he throws up the ball and swings and tries to hit the baseball and he misses. He throws it up a second time and he swings and he misses. And then a third time he throws it up and he swings and guess what? This time he, he misses. And so, of course, three strikes and you're out. And so he just throws his bat down on the ground and he says, wow, what a pitcher. You see, the little boy found a little bit of something to be successful at. He might not have been the best hitter in the world, but he maybe he thought, I'm a pretty good pitcher. I just struck that dude out. You know what I'm talking about? You see, to be sure today, there is nothing wrong with striving for success in any of the aforementioned areas, your occupation, athletics, academics, whatever, fill in the blank. But I'm here to tell you today that we must remember that merely succeeding in those areas, that isn't the ultimate goal. You see, Jesus did not tell us to go into the world and to make A's. And making A's is all fine and dandy. In fact, you should strive to do well in whatever you set your mind and your heart to accomplish. But he did not tell us fundamentally and primarily to go out into the world and to make A's. He didn't tell us to go into the world and make millions of dollars. And he didn't tell us to go into the world and win championships. No, Jesus said in Matthew 28 and verse 19 that we are to go into the world and make disciples. You see, in other words, what Jesus is getting at right here, we are to live with our sights set on the eternal and not the temporal. Can I remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew 16 and verse 26? But he said to us, and maybe somebody needs to be reminded about this truth of Scripture, because I know that on any given day, I need to be reminded of this. But what does it profit a man if he is to gain the whole world, but yet lose his own soul? You see, I'm here to tell you this morning that the key to success is simply this. It is faithful obedience to God's perfectly revealed word. We find ourselves this morning in Joshua chapter 1, and I know, as I've already alluded, that if you are a Bible student, you love the Word of God, you read the Word of God, I'm sure that you are familiar with this text. I'm sure if you've been coming to this church for any amount of time, that maybe you've heard Brother Jared or some other pastor or preacher preach from this text. Of course, in our time together today, I cannot spend a ton of time on the context, but many of us might need to realize and just recall to our memories that right here in Joshua chapter 1, this is a transition period in the nation of Israel. Of course, Moses has died. And consider this right here. Joshua is being addressed and being installed as the new leader of Israel, and he is having to follow somebody like Moses. I believe most of us could agree this morning that if we were to think about the most prominent figures in the Old Testament, Moses would be in the top three or four of prominent figures in the Old Testament as far as being well-known and those that were just so venerated and greatly used by God in a dynamic way in the history of Israel. You'll think of Abraham, of course. You'll think of David. Perhaps you'll think of Elijah. 
because of his prominent prominence as a prophet and the way he is mentioned and, and used to actually conflated with John the Baptist in the New Testament. But among those, you cannot overlook this man, Moses, as well. And of course, the situation right here in Israel is not the greatest because they have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and they have been doing so out of their own disobedience to the commandment, to the word of God. And so Joshua is here in this text being installed as the new leader and he has been tasked with leading Israel to conquer the powerful enemies of God. And I believe right here as we see somebody with such a great and high calling on his life, I believe that the instructions that God gives to Joshua in this text are highly applicable for each and every one of us and the particular specific call that God has on each of our lives in this room this morning. You see, God tells Joshua right here, and maybe this also needs to resonate with somebody today, but he tells him three times right here in this text to be strong and courageous. As you can uh, gather from just the repetition of that line right here, there's probably a reason that God is telling him to be strong and to be courageous. Because how many of us may be tempted to be weak and cowardly in a position like this and with a call on our life like this? And I'll tell you the truth this morning, that being and living for the Lord, it takes strength And it takes courage. In fact, I believe that the principle right here is that the call of God on each of our lives, it requires both of those things. But the strength and the courage we need to fulfill the plan and the will that God has for us. God is the only one that can supply it to our lives. And he starts right here in verse 8, some of the first words of instruction that God gives to Joshua. Notice right here, he says, this book of the law. What does he point him to? What is the key to success? He points him to Holy Scripture. Three observations I want to give you from the Word of God as it pertains to our success, success this morning is I want you to see, first of all, the prominence of the Word. Notice right here the prominence of the Word because God addresses Joshua right here and he says, This book right here, he says, This book shall not depart from your mouth. You see, those of you that are students, especially in school, and maybe some of you that are transitioning to college, you're very familiar. In fact, all of us in this room who has been through school are very familiar with textbooks and how we must get acclimated with the textbooks and the classes that we have to take. You see, whether it's biology or mathematics or whether it's economics or philosophy or literature or English, we all have a textbook that is useful in guiding us in learning the things that we are setting out to accomplish in our academic pursuits. But let me just say this morning that there is only one book that stands head and shoulders above the rest, and it is the book that we are holding in our hand today. It is the inerrant word of our living God. There was an emperor in late 3rd century A.D. In, in, in Rome, Roman emperor whose name was Diocletian. Diocletian went on a crusade to totally eliminate Christianity from the empire of Rome, really from the face of the earth. And one of the ways that Diocletian set out to eliminate Christianity was by confiscating the Word of God. So he set out to gather up all of the parchments of Scripture that he could possibly find 
and confiscate. And when Diocletian thought that he had gathered up all the remaining parchments of Scripture, he had a bonfire and he incinerated, of course, the words of Scripture in that fire. And after he had done so, he pridefully and boastfully erected a monument that said, Extincto Nominee Christianorum, which is translated for us, the name of Christian is extinct. But how many of us know today that Diocletian is no longer around, but guess what is still around today? It is the living word of our God. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 35 that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The Bible says in Isaiah 40 in verse 8 that the grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God, it endures forever. You see, this is the eternal, unchanging, inerrant, infallible, and totally sufficient word of our God, and it must be preeminent and therefore prominent in our lives if we are to experience true success. I choose this word prominent this morning because the word prominent means readily noticeable and conspicuous. And I just believe our love and affection for God's word should be readily noticeable and conspicuous. People should know that as we have said about Baptists for years now, in a great way, that people should know that we are people of the book, not people of the culture, not people of society, not people of compromise, but people of the book. Two areas where I believe this text tells us this word should be prominent is notice, number one, it should be prominent in your mouth. Because he says right here in verse 8, it shall not depart from your mouth. You see, in a time when many want to silence the voice of Christians, we need more men and women who will be willing to speak up for the cause of Christ. Consider these words from Psalm 9, verses 1 and 2, where the Bible says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all of my heart. But listen to these words. He says, I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praises to your name, Most High. Notice and consider the words that we see throughout the whole of Scripture that talks about men and women praising, lifting up, and expressing praise to our God by opening our mouths. Nehemiah 9 and verse 5 tells us to stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting and is not is God not worthy of our praise and adoration this morning an expression of our worship that should come out of our mouths the Bible says in Psalm 107.2 that let the redeemed of the Lord say so you see when the apostles were standing before the magistrates in the book of Acts, and they were being persecuted, they were being beat, they were being whipped, and they were told not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. But they said to the rulers of their day, we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and which we have heard. And I'm just here to say today that people that cannot and do not share their faith and are shameful and not bold and not courageous in sharing their faith. One of the reasons people, supposed Christians, may not be bold in their faith is because they've never truly experienced the life-changing, life-saving power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a quote by a man named Francis of Assisi, and he said that we are to preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, 
use words. I understand the sentiment of that quote this morning, but I am not necessarily, especially in this moment, endorsing it because we cannot preach the gospel purely and merely with our lives. You see, we must open our mouths and preach it. We can live lives that evidence change and that can reflect the change that the gospel has brought into our lives. But to preach fundamentally means to proclaim, to declare. And of course, the implication is with our mouth. And so if you just think you're going to win the world to Jesus by acting like a Christian, you must do more than merely act like a Christian. But at some point in time, somebody needs to stand up and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, the Bible tells us that we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and we are always to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us a reason of the hope that is within us and, we, and do so with meekness and in fear. You see, the Word of God should be prominent in our mouths, but then notice also it should be prominent in our minds. Because he says, continuing in verse 8, he says, but you shall meditate in it day and night. You see, it does not, it does not take a scholar today to understand that the things we love are going to occupy our minds. Y'all know that, right? How many of y'all know an obnoxious Georgia Bulldog fan? How many of you know an obnoxious Florida Gator fan or Alabama Crimson, Crimson Tide? You see, the reason why we are so, so passionate about some of our sports teams, or one of the ways that we know that we are passionate about sports teams is because we show and demonstrate our affection for them. And I'll tell you this, that people think. I know that people, in fact, the countdown already in the month of June is already on for football season that is right around the corner. And I just want to be clear this morning, I'm not preaching against that. I love football and sports as much as the next person. But I'm just here to say today that the reason why and the things that we are passionate about, they're going to occupy our minds. You see, whether it's a sport, whether you're a musician, perhaps, whether it's your career. In fact, I say this morning that even as a minister of the gospel, my ministry, and Brother Jared, I know, would say this as well. Ministry, it occupies our minds, and in large part because we love doing what God has, has called us to do when it comes to ministry. Your family, if you love your family, of course, they're going to occupy your mind. I'm here to tell you today that when I especially... When I first started dating my wife, she occupied my mind. Can I get an amen this morning? You see, my wife occupied my mind because I loved her and was growing in my affection for her. You see, in a very similar way, one of the ways our love for God's Word is evident is in how much we meditate in it. You know, when contrasting the righteous ways with the ways of the ungodly in Psalm chapter 1, we see the psalmist right there, and we really do not even know who wrote. In fact, many of the psalms in Scripture, we're not exactly sure who they're attributed to. In fact, they're not attributed to anybody specifically. And there are several of them like that, and Psalm 1 happens to be one of those. But we know that they are God-breathed Scripture. And he says in, in Psalm chapter 1, he says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But he goes on and talks about this man that is blessed by God. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And it is in his law that he meditates both day and night. You see, the Word of God, it provides us, the reason why we should meditate on it is because it provides us stability that we cannot find anywhere else. 
In fact, the psalmist would go on and he would use a reference that would actually indicate that stability by saying in verse 3 that he will be like a tree that is firmly planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does, it shall prosper. And listen to me today, when we consciously meditate on the word of God, that is, it will equip us as we endeavor to make wise, Christ-honoring, spirit-empowered decisions. But I just want you to know that the word of God must be prominent in our lives if we were to experience true success. Number two this morning, notice that the, uh, not just the prominence of the word, but there's also a word here about the practice of the word. Because then he goes on to say in verse 8 that he says that you may observe, but then notice these two little words right here, to do. Just four letters, but power packed. He says that you may observe the word of God and not just observe it, but you may observe it to do the word of God. You see, listen to me this morning. The point of knowing scripture is not to brag about our knowledge about it. The point of knowing Scripture is not to memorize Scripture or the point of memorizing Scripture is not to impress people with how much you can recite it. You see, listen today, we learn the Word of God in order to effectively apply the Word of God in our daily lives. Because the Word of God, it strengthens us in our temptations, does it not? It strengthens us in our temptations. It strengthens us in our witness. It strengthens us in whatever trials we may be going through. It strengthens us in our weaknesses. You see, we don't read the Bible or pray merely for the sake of doing those things, but we do so in order to know and follow the Lord more faithfully. I'm sure many of us are probably familiar that kids with the adage or the saying that kids spell love, T-I-M-E. But we know from Scripture that God spells love, O-B-E-Y. Consider these verses from 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Now by this we know that we, uh, that, we, that we know Him. If we keep His commandments, He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments, is a liar. Listen to this. And the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. He who says He abides in Him ought Himself to walk just as He walked. And I'm sure that we also all know John 14 and verse 15 where Jesus said that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But you see, I want you to see right here two things about this regarding our practice. I want you to notice first of all that our practice must be intentional. Our practice must be intentional this morning. You see, uh, I talk to our students all the time. And in fact, Miss Ellie, who sometimes comes to our youth ministry, maybe she's heard me say this a time or two before, but I'm sure that our students sometimes get sick of hearing me say this. But the truth of the matter is, it's so, this, this thing is so true that we need to remind ourselves of this often because of our prone to drift away from the Lord. But the truth of the matter is this, we do not drift toward spirituality. I'm talking right here about how our practice must be intentional. You see, we must be intentional with our walk with Christ because we are not going to casually drift toward godliness and a closer walk with the Lord. You see, sharing your faith is not something that just happens. Your quiet time is not something that just happens. Going to church is not something that just happens. 
Overcoming that one sin that so easily besets you is not something that just happens. You see, you and I must actively participate in obedience to the Lord. As I was preaching and as I've taught this concept before to our students, especially to those entering adulthood, and even those that have just graduated particularly that are leaving high school and now going to college, I don't know that there is a more important truth for them to grasp other than some of the basic fundamentals of our faith as they are so important, crucially important to our overall well-being and grounding spiritually. But this truth right here that we must be intentional with our walk with Christ. Because so many, it seems, they leave high school and they go to college and it is at college where I believe that you see some of the most drifting start to occur in a believer's life. And it is unfortunate. It is a tragic thing to see happen. In fact, I've come across a stat that I believe the latest stat right here that is out there is that close to seven, if not seven, out of ten students leave the church after high school. Seven out of ten students, almost. Seven out of ten students leave the church after high school. To be clear today, some of them do eventually end up coming back. But is it not tragic that seven out of ten students leave the church at all after high school? You see, I remind the students that, especially on this point right here, that it is not, let me tell you this, that the world does not have anything to offer you that is more fulfilling than what Christ can offer you through His Word and through His church. And I tell students that sacrificing your relationship with the Lord, it is not worth the best job in the world that you can find. It is not worth the highest grades. The, the sacrificing your relationship with Christ, it is not worth the prettiest girl or the most charming guy. It is not worth the most popular position in some fraternity. But the Bible calls each and every one of us, regardless of your age, regardless of where you are at, it calls each and every one of us to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and allow God to supply our need in every other area of our lives. You see, I'm here to tell you today that we must be intentional, but also notice that we must be indiscriminate. Because he says right here in verse 8, he says to do, but then notice right after this, he says, according to all that is written in it. You see, our church and many of our pastors and leaders in in our culture and in our world today, they need to grasp this concept because he did not say that you are to do some of it. He did not say that you are to do most of it. No, he said that you are to do all of it. You know, one of the texts actually that God used when he prompted my heart to begin praying about his will for my life that eventually led me to serving at Emmanuel Baptist Church here in Blackshear. Well, I guess next door to us in Blackshear. It came out of Joshua 9.14. And even as I read this text and I hear and I see these words that God tells Joshua to do all that I have commanded you, you notice that when you do read the book of Joshua, whenever he failed to do all that he commanded him, do you know how well, or how it did not bode all that well for him? You, you know, they, you, you remember the story about how they ended up losing to Ai? I mean, they just got done conquering Jericho, which would be like us, you know, defeating China and then losing to, uh, I don't know, some uh, Cuba or some small country like that. And they just got done defeating Jericho, and then they end up losing to Ai. And the reason why is because really they did not consult the Lord about the battle and the victory. They took it for granted, 
And unbeknownst to them, there was sin in the camp. And I know that we know about the sin of Achan and the idolatry and the schemes of him. But had they sought the counsel of the Lord, God would have undoubtedly revealed that to them and led them to victory in Ai. A similar thing happened when they made the treaty with the Gibeonites. And this was the text that God used in my life to prompt me to pray about His will for my life. Because in Joshua 9.14, it said that they made this treaty with the Gibeonites, which was against the will of God. And in 9.14, it says, because they did not seek the counsel of the Lord. And truthfully today, I had a bunch of plans for my own life and even at my own, my, my former church. But you know what? God used that text of Scripture to, to prick my heart, to hit me between the eyes, to convict me and ask me to seriously consider how much I have actually sought the will and the counsel of God for my life. Perhaps somebody today, you need to hear that, you know what? What am I praying about right now? Am I seeking God's counsel or am I just kind of riding on cruise control right now? But you see, he told Joshua right here that you are to do, to do all of my will. You see, we are to seek God in every way. We are to seek his, his kingdom first. We should pray first. We should read his word. We should seek what he has to say for us in the Bible. The problem with many churches and many pastors today is that they're too... Uh, uh, particular, they're too discriminant with the parts of Scripture that they want to hold to and the parts that they don't want to hold to. They're too selective with the Bible. You see, the Bible says in Psalms 119 and 160 that the entirety of your word is truth and every last one of your righteous commandments, they endure forever. You see, God has not called you or me to edit or water down the Bible. He has called us to simply declare it. That's why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2 that you are to preach the word. You are to be ready and faithful in season and out of season. It doesn't matter what the culture is doing. It doesn't matter what is popular in the world. But you are just simply to be faithful to preaching the word of God. Because listen today that the standing for truth is right even when it is not popular. Understand today that we must fight for the unborn despite the attacks of the progressive mob that is out there in the world. We must stand against sexual perversion despite its embrace by the culture. We must embrace purity even when everyone else is embracing promiscuity. We must choose sobriety even when drunkenness is the norm. And we must run towards the word even when everyone else is running towards the world. I want you to see today the prominence of the word. Notice the practice of the word. But lastly, this morning, I want you to see the prophet of the word. Because he says right here at the end of verse 8, he says, Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You know, many supposed preachers today have indeed profited from the word. But unfortunately, the extent of their prosperity is the material world. To be clear, uh, again, earthly prosperity in and of itself is not wrong. But also to remind us again, it is also not the goal. And nor, and listen to this, nor is it the main way that we can assess the blessing of God. You know, the blessing of God is most clearly seen in how the Lord equips and enables us to fulfill His will, and then also to avoid the perils of sin 
and its consequences. You know that that is where we can most fundamentally see the blessing of God on our lives. In other words, it really does not matter what kind of social classes are represented in this sanctuary. You may be the wealthiest person in Ware County that is in this room this morning, but that does not mean that you're the most blessed or highly favored person in Ware County this morning by the Lord. Because the blessing of God cannot be assessed purely by looking at the material as so many prosperity preachers and theologians would have you believe today. But you see, God was saying to Joshua right here that as you follow my word, I will guide you. He said that I will strengthen you and he says I will exalt you. And what a great comfort that this should be to each believer's heart in this room today. Because as I look at this, I see that I am not called to be the greatest preacher in the world. I'm just simply called to be obedient to the call that God has placed on my life. You see, you are not called to be the greatest Sunday school teacher or Bible study leader in the world. You are simply called to be faithful and obedient to the task that God has given you to do. You're not called if you work in the student ministry as I do and as I have so many great workers that work alongside of me in the student ministry. You see, one of the things that I'm grateful for is that we're not called to be the most hip, dynamic student workers in the world. We are simply called to be obedient to Christ and to His Word and to the ministry that He has given to us. And you are not called even this morning to be the greatest soul winner. You're called to be obedient in faithfully sharing and witnessing your faith to other people. You see, in James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, the Bible tells us, in fact, James is in that text talking about people and communicating and encouraging and admonishing Christians that are struggling with the world and with truly and obediently following the Lord. And he gives them the remedy, basically, for a love for the world starting in verse 7 of chapter 4. Again, James chapter 4, because he tells them, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then he says in verse 8 that we are to draw near to God and then God will draw near to us. You see, we must understand that God will reciprocate. But we do need to have a passion and a desire to draw nearer to the Lord than many times what we indicate by the way that we live and the decisions and the choices that we make. But he says, you draw near to God and God is going to draw near to you. And let me just say this morning that if you are away from God, it's not God's fault. It's your fault. In fact, as Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 59, he says, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, but it is your iniquities that have separated you from God. You see, and what James is talking about right there is repentance. He says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And then you see this repentance further fleshed out in the following words as he says, to cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. But then listen to these words right here. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and God will lift you up. I'm, tell you, I'm telling you today that when we faithfully obey the Word of God and we put the outcome, obedience, the consequences of our, our obedience in the hands of God, it is going to be a favorable outcome because God is going to um, bless us as we do so. Do you believe that the Word of God is profitable this morning? 
You know, Paul wrote about that in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 when he says all Scripture, indiscriminately, all Scripture, it is given by inspiration of God. And what about Scripture? It is profitable. What is it profitable for? It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, that it is mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, in John chapter 6, I, I recall the words of the disciples when Jesus actually started to preach and say a lot of hard things. And when Jesus started to say some of these hard things, the Bible says that many stopped following him after that. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he said to them, he says, are you too going to turn away from me? And Peter spoke up and he said, Lord, to whom shall we turn? Because you have the words of life. You know, the Word of God is profitable for the believer today. But I know, as we've already sang about the glorious truth of salvation, the thing that we can always look at is we can see that the Word of God is profitable to call men and women unto repentance to be saved. As Jesus would say in John chapter 10 and verse 10, He says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You see, Satan comes to steal, kill, and to destroy the sin that infiltrates our lives that comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have life more abundantly. As we've already sang today about the, um, the gospel really of Christ, and I appreciate the fact that this is a church that does not shy away from the hard truth to the world today in Scripture, that to be outside of Christ... Brother Jared talked about from Ephesians this morning about us being in Christ. And I love your thoughts on that this morning, Brother Jared, about how he's not a distant uh, father or a distant, distant Lord, but we are actually in Christ. He is near to us. He is imminent. We have an intimate relationship with him. We are in Christ. But also how he, uh, and as we've sung about today, about the fact that if we are outside of Christ, actually the Bible says that the wrath of God abides on us. And we all truly are deserving of the wrath of God. And that's what makes the grace of God so glorious and astonishing to me. But Jesus did say, in fact, in John 3 and verse 36, that he who believes in the Son of God has everlasting life. But he who does not believe shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You see, ultimately, it is the Word of God that keeps us. The warnings that we see from texts like John 3 and verse 36, those texts right there show us and point us the way and demonstrate for us just how profitable the Word of God is to keep us from a Christless eternity. And I just want to say to you, Deanwood Baptist Church, this morning and reiterate one more time that the key to your and my success it is right there in your hands and right here in my hands because it is, in fact, the Word of God. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer right now? Father, I come before you in prayer, and God, I thank you for the opportunity that I've had to share and preach your Word to this dear congregation today. God, I pray that you would take some truth that has been said and write it on our hearts, and Father, help us to apply it effectively in our lives that we may pursue and experience true success according to your word, living and fulfilling the call that you have on each one of us to do so. And Father, I pray and ask this right now in Jesus, your precious name.
Amen.